I V M. Then a podcast in the studio, not the same one, but like at the same uh, house before you know that, right? Keeping it queer way back, it was such a bizarre. Uh, it has actually happened also, because I was uh, I just started the show back then. Keeping it queer was just like a baby show. Yeah. And uh, Sharanya, who was my uh, then head producer, was like uh, a local in town, and uh, they're right down the road. There was a small uh, collaborative space where people used to put up put up shows, and we just after work went there, and I barged through the crowd after Alok's performance, and I'm like, uh, I'm doing a queer podcast. Will you be, you know, uh, a guest on it? Yeah. And they had no idea what what who am I or my podcast <laughs> or whatever, but they still were kind enough to say yes. And I remember Shakti was with you back then, and I was so chuffed to have you on the podcast, and it was such a great learning experience. Everybody who heard it afterwards was like, it was such a nice connect to know that there's a Indian queer voice in the Western Front taking taking the charge, you know. So I'm really grateful that we can have you today on the on the podcast. Alok. I'm excited to be back with you. Yeah, and uh, also mainly because introduce uh, Alok. No, but I'm, like... I'm doing it. I'm getting to it. I'm just like I'm so many emotions are happening right now. It's such a it's a full circle because tomorrow I'm opening for them at yeah. their show in in Bombay. And when we were first talking to the producers of the show to do this also as a collaboration, we were like, oh, we'll promote the show, but the show sold out in two hours. So we don't even have to do that. There's no need for us to do anything because. Uh, Alok is so famous yeah. uh, They are a spoken word artist An author A comedian now And uh, they've appeared On all the old famous shows But uh, as we go through the show You'll know from their stories That how the journey Has been so pivotal To a lot of queer brown people You know yeah. People of colour essentially Who are so uh, Attacked in in the in the American uh, you know areas and and in India especially now that the the global movement is catching up and people say that this is a very Western concept and everything but as we dig deeper we understand that this is a very Indian concept to begin with like you no know, the gender such a constricted concept yeah. nowadays because it was so like male and female but then uh, over time we learn through our own history that it's so queer on its own right yeah. so we will learn mm-hmm. to all about that and yeah officially welcoming Alok on this podcast thank you so much Yay. thank you thank you I'm excited to be here yeah Yay. and uh, so, so to begin with, uh, uh, I, I want to yeah. begin. You, you begin. You begin. Uh, I was reading the Vogue interview. It was <laughs> such a great interview. It's so rare to find somebody who's actually eloquent. Like when it boils down to it, you know what I mean. A lot of times you see, like, because I started, you know, with your Instagram feed, and I'm like, this is so much love. Like in one feed And that's it's So I, Like in my brain Is a cynic That's immediately going Man I hope this translates Into like a real person mm. You know what I mean And then I read the Vogue And I'm like Oh my god yes This is a real person I'm so glad and especially well, I hate what, to disappoint you I'm actually an algorithm ah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I knew it I'm, I'm sponsored by Meta To come here And, <laughs> and uh, make you feel love As a simulation But I'm not actually real The things they're achieving With the tangible reality Of it all I love it <laughs> Yeah. I didn't know these were Oculus glasses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you knew, you would have looked better at least. Without, uh, without the I'm sorry. I just came back from vacation and Akash looks like this now. I don't know. I, what I had a death in the family. What I, do you do? I you know, have to I, I cut know. the hair when uh, parental all, all figures. All of you have to cut. Like, but, the, so the hair would have been fine. Yeah. It's a form versus spirit thing, right? Like in, in the form is that when your parents die, you cut your hair. But in spirit, it's when a parental figure passes away mm. is when you're supposed to. So I lost a parental figure. So I figured it would make sense. Mm. The beard was... 
like an add on i felt mm. like she would have liked it if the beard was also gone yeah. which was not necessarily a good idea in mm. retrospect because i just realized i have really dry skin on my face well you know i think body hair for us indians is the renewable resource so i have <laughs> yeah. no yeah. doubts that it will be back yeah, with yeah, a vengeance yeah. yeah this is 5 days in so i'm <laughs> yeah. i'm pretty confident of we're that good. yeah that's true yeah. we're we many always... things but we're not we're not that often bald yeah 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 <laughs> we're, we're balding balding yeah as like a per- perennial process yeah <laughs> <laughs> without destination yeah <laughs> but i was uh, hmm. observing a lot of like men across the wedding season yeah. uh in, in december and jan and uh, i've become an expert at spotting two pays now it's just like mm. it's my thing where i'm like oh <laughs> you know this person at one point i'm like this sport your bald hair i love i love men who have like the the audacity to just have the side thing right my dad yeah. has that my dad has it yeah, yeah i'm like it's so so cute like it's like accepting that this is what happened naturally yeah, i mean we should just call it, call it a fade you know yeah. they're just they're hipsters <laughs> yeah actually. just like yeah. give that like natural crop <laughs> yeah. and just like have a mullet if it's going backwards yeah. just, yeah. just totally. go the mullet down <laughs> totally. grow ponytail okay, like, so, yeah. but i, I just it, feel yeah. like you're being a little hypocritical right now because you with a full head of hair like if you really want to join the movement join the movement you know yeah. what i mean yeah i should join akash yeah. but it's interesting to me because you know we grew up with you know balding around us right mm. like throughout your entire like in my in my family everybody is balding mm. except for my mom my mom is the only head of hair whether male or female everybody is balding and somehow i'm supposed to like pretend and hold on to my hair like oh this is a commodity you know what i mean mm. it's going to go i have made peace with it going you know i do this so that my wife also knows once in a while this is going to happen mm. yeah just reminding you might say we're born naked and the rest is balding yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty much as rupal famously did not mm-hmm. say uh, <laughs> but my dad is like when i used to first uh, spend money on hair care products like he would see like okay here's like a pomade or here's like a you know conditioner and yeah. all and it's like why and my dad has the audacity to ask me while he's like got nothing on his head i'm like i'm like this is what like by 30 you were already balding and i'm holding on to whatever little dignity i have yeah. with everything i can hold on to right so i'm like i'm going to take care of this and everything and and like you know speaking about like this whole to pay uh, situation i hooked up with a daddy recently and uh, and like we were basically just like making out in his living room and everything and so i think the right after covid so we were like no still like mm-hmm, a two year mm-hmm. gap between yeah. anybody having sex essentially right so we were hooking up and everything and then we moved to the bedroom and everything was like ooh you can see the ceiling from his house and all it was nice nice and cute and then he turned all the lights off okay he was just like we should turn all the lights off i'm like but why he's like it's beautiful i'm like but i can't see what i'm putting my stuff into right so so then that was like so so weird because like i'm trying very hard to make out in absolute darkness and everything and then at some point while you're like if you're making out with somebody you want to like hold on to the back of the head and everything and then it goes into a hair in it and then ah. i realized why the lights are out because he doesn't want to see that if he gets shuffled in the middle of it all and yeah. i have been uh, you know touching onto fake hair so i'm like I'm, i'm again i didn't say anything because i'm like if i bring it up now is it awkward or would, would yeah. that be like a weird thing that you know i'm just like keep be yourself i guess i don't know you know i have a lot of goals in my career and one of them is to get people to realize that fake hair is a slur hmm. because my lashes are real you know yeah <laughs> so actually we're at a place in our life in our culture where we need to really destroy this idea that there are fake and authentic Authentic binaries, you yeah. know. It's like as the rapper Princess Nokia said, "It's mine. I bought it." Yeah, yeah. It's just about shame, I think. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's not about it's not about the balding. It's not about the net. It's about the shame. And I think Indians do shame so well to each other and to ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what scares people, especially about queer people, is we have the audacity to actually try to negotiate a life for ourselves unmediated by shame, and that scares people because the only sense of self is through shame. So when they see us they're like how could you be so shameless yeah. which is another way of saying how could you be so powerful yeah absolutely so free 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting that you bring that up because I think a lot of times your own insecurity outweighs especially when it comes to your partner, right? Like mm-hmm. with me without the beard, I am definitely a little insecure about that because I've had it since what like what over a decade now. Yeah, I've never seen uh, it. Yeah, seen it without like, it this is the first time I've shaved off my beard in since 2012. Yeah. So yeah. I felt a little awkward for it and she's like I still find you sexy, but for <laughs> some reason my insecurity trumps what my partner says somebody who I would trust no matter what hmm. the situation was hmm. when it comes to this I don't trust her hmm. all of a sudden right like I'm like no you don't you don't find me attractive right. because I decided in my head that I'm no longer attractive to you right. yeah which is so silly in retrospect it's know? easier to outsource our insecurities than other people yeah and to make other people responsible when ultimately I think the most difficult work is self-acceptance and I think most people I mean my crisis that my diagnosis of the crisis of the world is a fundamental lack of self-acceptance. And so people are just defaulting into hate or into policing other people because they can't actually sit in the quiet echo chamber in the darkness, if you will, of their own self-hatred. And it's just interesting because I think since we last spoke, one of the biggest shifts in my work and I think why I'm, I'm so interested in comedy is that I was operating early on in my career and in my practice under the idea that there was something wrong with me as a queer and trans person that I had to explain to straights and cis people. And then I realized, like, that's a wrong paradigm. Yeah. Actually, what's right is that I love myself. What's wrong is that you hate me. It's not about identity. It's actually about hatred. And I don't really care how you identify as, but what I care about is that your entire life is based and predicated off of hating other people. And what's so convenient and wonderful about comedy is it allows me to actually engage with that group of people that for so long I haven't really addressed in my work, where I can use the line that they've been using against queer people forever of, it's just a joke. Why yeah. can't you take a joke? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love that that power trip that we as queer mm-hmm. artists have now. And that same thing clicked with me as well, right? Like, Akash see me from my day one of performing. And while it was earlier, like, I'm trying to prove the notions wrong. At one yeah. point, I just gave up. I'm like, the problem is not with me. Mm-hmm. The problem is with you guys. Yeah. And I'm just going to flip that on your head. So now I'm going to tell you deeper stories of how I have anal sex. And you will listen. You will come, you pay me money and you listen and enjoy it as well at the end of it. Yeah. And that's like a little bit of a win we have at the end of the day, right? Like, where, as you said, like, it's just a joke. Don't feel so bad at the end of it right yeah I, I love that I I feel like like because a lot of what I do is very dark especially when it comes to all the suicide and depression stuff right and for me the like the appeal of art is that you get to say what you feel but in a form that's palatable to somebody else hmm. you know what I mean like at the core of it for me stand-up is only about feeling less alone in the world like right. all art is about feeling less alone in the world right because there's somebody else out there who feels the way you feel and in that sense it's sort of on one hand is normalizing it for the person who's depressed but for the person who's not depressed all of a sudden it's like oh oh you know what I mean that's the, I, I see that in their eyes so often do you feel like that you know like with certain things that's definitely there but with certain things it feels like I'm digging further into my own echo chamber you know mm. what I mean especially when it comes to politics yeah. it's like the more the more jokes I do about politics the more I'm sort of cordoning off spaces for other people and pushing away people who are say on the opposite side of the fence do you feel like like how do you mitigate that when you're doing comedy now well I think it's about how you craft a set right like let's read this in an example I just did a show in South Goa last week it was 90% white expats which was truly iconic yeah there was totally a narrow impersonator like an old white guy who just dressed like narrow I was like that's a weird flex all right (laughs) 
And I haven't had a crowd where the average age was 65, I think, ever. Mm. It was um, giving geriatric comedy night, and I signed (laughs) up for the occasion. They were not laughing at a single one of my jokes. It was truly humbling. And those are my favorite experiences as a comic because then you have to abandon your set, and you have to just go rogue and see what happens and try to build a sense of commonality. And so I started to weave in other jokes or weave in other ways of acknowledging to get them to receive the things that they were uncomfortable yeah. with. So I think that's what's so interesting about stand-up as an art form is that very few people will agree with 100% of what you're doing. Yeah. So what you do is you build connection around a shared value, um, and then once they're trusting you, that's when you accelerate or you move. So it's kind of like you have to really be delicate, and, and I feel like it's a very interdependent art form because it actually requires your audience to be with you. Yeah. So there have been, I mean, I, I've been on tour now for eight months, so I've had all sorts of audiences, but my favorite ones are when I go to traditional stand-up venues that are super cishet and really patriarchal. I just did one in Austin, Texas, which is a frequent for like a lot of these like right-wing dudes in the U.S., and um, I go on stage and I say, I'm so excited to be at the best gay bar in Austin. Like, you know, you just really, <laughs> yeah. you're like so sensationalized. But it's just like you kind of, it's like a kiss and punch kind of technique. Yeah. And that's what I've really loved about c- constructing a set is because it's no longer just about the one joke. It's how do you build an ecosystem around yeah. it? Absolutely. Mm. Like same thing, like, you know, if you have like an all male front row in, in comedy shows, I immediately go for like, well, yeah. for me, it's a buffet table right here. <laughs> and I'm going to have like my little pickings because then that kind of puts them on, on the back foot a little bit. Like, yeah. you know, like to, to see that somebody who's openly queer can also take that space and own it is such a threatening thing for a lot of people. And I really thrive in that. But since we last spoke again, like the shift to comedy happened very organically also yeah. for you. So, so were there like open mics that you had to go to and polish that craft uh, based on watching other comics or was it like you had to inculcate that on your own time you know because yeah. the way you talk about it it's like you've also been doing this for 15 years with us you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, like you, yeah. you hit it right on the nail you well here's I mean? the secret I have been and the thing is because as a poet I learned very early on in my career if I went in and every single one of my poems was about death suicide loneliness depression <laughs> yeah. people just don't want they're not yeah. ready for that so I, I had to pepper it with improvising when I would just sort of riff before introducing a poem and I noticed myself making jokes but I would never call it comedy because I associated stand-up with misogyny hmm. I didn't actually understand that there were queers and feminists and really cool rad people who were in comedy spaces so then when I started to actually recognize, hey, I'm consuming the wrong kind of comedy, and I started to discover other queer and trans comedians, it revolutionized my own relationship with myself because I thought that I was just the butt of the joke in comedy, and I didn't realize that we could actually use it ourselves. So then I started to do more comedy venues, and I was like, wait, these are my people. <laughs> because the issue with the tender queers and like the like emotional people, it's like, I'm like, yes, I do want to cry, of course, but I also need to take the piss at myself. It's a fundamental human right for me to take the piss at myself. I can't. The only way that I can cope with feeling so much, my astrological sign is cancer, so I feel everything very deeply, Mm. is that I make fun of myself for feeling everything deeply. That's the only way that I can appreciate and approach the kind of grief that I feel in my life. And so I think what I've started to try to do now is to really assert that they both need each other, the kind of intense vulnerability and emotional expression Mm. that poetry instills and installs in us and the flippancy (laughs) of comedy. And so I want to be both extremely earnest and irreverent at the exact same time. Yeah. And I think there are two sides of the same coin. Like both both crying and laughter. 
are essentially physical responses to something hmm. that you have no control over and they just sort of start on their own and they end when it's time for right. them to end. You know what I mean? And with both of them, more often than not, the only thing that gets into the way of getting through that process is you noticing somebody noticing you. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Going like with the death in my family, like I was at the farm with all of my friends and all of that. Mm. Yes, it was the 30th of December. So we're all raging to go. And like now I'm sitting cut to just, <laughs> yeah. you know, on a swing alone, crying to my wife's shoulder saying, how do I do the like life Pablo now? Escobar meme is you. <laughs> yeah. Were, like, were you actually on a swing? I was actually on a swing. That's and, so beautiful. Yeah. And it was, God and, is really scripting your season. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so like God is giving you really cute moments for but, your life. Yeah, but the problem was she was on a chair in front of the swing. Oh. So I would dig into her shoulder, but then the swing would come back. Yeah. That's just a metaphor for <laughs> love. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what yeah. it is. Yeah. That, that, that's Dalding really and love yeah. in India. Yeah. <laughs> on a swing that's hilarious yeah I think it's it, and it makes sense also I think uh, there are certain things that you should do in your life where you have less control hmm. if not no control you know what I mean like skydiving or a comedy show because in a comedy show I've seen so many people walk into the middle of the show they're not laughing they're not laughing and at some point they realize nobody's looking at them anymore mm-hmm. Yeah. and then you just sort of see the cross arms sort of come to the sides and mm-hmm. you see the person slink into the chair a bit and then suddenly they loosen up and they start laughing on stuff mm-hmm. that they would have laughed at from the beginning if they didn't think you know even if it's a family watching me I make them sit separately Yeah. so I'll put the kids in one corner and I'll put the parents in one corner where they can't see each other and then you should just see them like they fucking bloom dude you know one of the ways that my dad really annoys me and shows love for me at the same time is he spreads my tour dates to our extended family without telling me <laughs> and so I just find myself yeah, yeah. all across the world in this extreme conundrum where I'm being extremely crass on stage and then I see my like auntie G in the front and then I feel the need to like just like touch her feet or like bow down or like <laughs> introduce her to everyone and be like oh my god I'm so happy so one of my shows I had a group of my family at a table and I could not stop looking like yeah. I was so I felt the shame and I was yeah. like oh my god am I about to talk about this in front of them and then afterwards rather than speaking to me they gave me Ziploc bagged of food for me to eat afterwards <laughs> so I was like okay we all have yeah. our own ways of engaging yeah. that's yeah. fine <laughs> That's that's their way of saying you talk. Yeah, it's it's there. I love you. You know what I mean? It's their gay pride parade, let's be honest. Absolutely. (laughs) The food is not coming at my face, so we're working at a great place. Like in the beginning of my comedy career, I would have a lot of my church friends show up, you know? And my family have always made a little like embargo, like you never can come to my comedy show Mm. because I speak some shit. But like my friends are okay. And and for them to find out I was queer was so funny because they would still not believe it after the show's done. They're like, this was all like make-believe, right? You're not not actually gay. you're not sucking dick, right? Like, Indians also swing away from the truth a lot as well. Yeah, yeah, Love yeah. balding and the truth. Exactly. <laughs> I once had a grand aunt who watched videos of my entire show and said, you're such a great, you're doing such a great character study. She thought <laughs> exactly. I was acting someone else's <laughs> yeah. monologue. Yeah. <laughs> so even now when people are like, this this whole angry homosexual stick Naveen is doing, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, not, yeah. it's, it's true, this is me. I don't know how to say that anymore. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. It's Oscar worthy. <laughs> I really felt it actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I get angry and I suck dick. Hey, this is something I realized like, because I got married this year so a lot of observations are coming from there but like, you know, it's about how they see you. You know, your family is always going to see when they, they look at me, they don't see me. They see mm. a kid. Mm. You know what I mean? Same with my, uh, you know, my cousins and stuff. They're like, oh, you got married. We realize you're a whole person. And I'm like, I, I've been a whole person this whole fucking time. Right. For the first time, you just look at me as an adult person as opposed to just your kid brother. Right. And, and suddenly that's, I think, what makes a lot of the difference, especially when they watch us on stage. 
like I don't encourage my parents to watch me on stage because I know they're not gonna. For them, it's it's still like because I would never talk like that at home. I do not have the balls to talk like I can't, I can't say fucking and all at home. My father will slap me. Mm. It doesn't matter if I'm thirty or not. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So when then suddenly they see it on stage and they see it working and then I'm touring all these times. Then over time they just had to kind of like consolidate that idea that okay, right. there is this guy that lives in our house right. who happens to be our son, <laughs> and I guess he's just gonna be that guy there, and he's gonna be our son here. Yeah, right. I had a really funny dad experience where I had a really great opportunity. I sold out two shows at the Kennedy Center, which is one of our biggest Oof. performance venues mm-hmm. in the U.S. Yeah. So my dad was like, "I've got to come," and I was like, "Okay, like <laughs> let's let's figure this out." As he comes in. In a beret. <laughs> and I'm a little mortified, but I do the perfunctory Indian acknowledgement of my father. And everyone's like, oh, my God, a, a father accepts this faggot child. Like, that's so amazing. Wow, yeah. progress, right? Yeah. So then afterwards, I'm really trying to fish my dad for feedback. I'm like, what did you think? And he said, well, you're more rehearsed. I said, what kind of... And the jokes just write themselves. Yeah. I could literally be on stage doing anything, like spinning around naked, and my dad would still not express an emotion to me. <laughs> so that's where I'm at. So even give me anger. Yeah. I want some expression. Being annoyed at least. And yeah. so then, of course, I complained to my mom. I'm like, you know, he just said that I was um, well rehearsed. And then she complains to him. And then I get a long WhatsApp message from him. He said, <laughs> I did not say rehearsed, I said measured, which has a different connotation. <laughs> and then it becomes about semantics. Yeah. So that's yeah. where I'm at in therapy with my family. Yeah. And what about my act? Like, I know. Yeah. All that All gets the... lost there is me. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. but I've gone down that and you don't want to go down that road because you'll push him, push him, push him. Eventually my dad said, Are you're not funny. Right. And I was like, no, exactly. that, that's even worse. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I, don't. I think he also said, you know, people chuckled. I was like, Dad, they can't like guffaw the entire time. I wouldn't yeah. be able to get through the set. It's a slow build. Yeah. So, but, so one of the things that you know used to make me laugh as a child, like, and and this is like something that was such a weird, like, so we we grew up Mangalore, right? Konkani people have yeah. like their own little pop culture thing going, like you know, they have their own singers and musicians and all. And there was one singer who would do like a cross dressing character called Tina, okay. Mm. And this whole thing was like, oh, I'm a pretty girl, and everybody is like after me, and I'm gonna reject everybody. Mm. And my uncle would play that to make me laugh as a child okay and then then of course I grew up and then we all develop like our own understanding of what it is and then you see it on TV where like you know cross-dressing is used as a joke uh, my mom is like this made you laugh as a child but like remember that and I'm like I'm trying to forget all of that right like yeah. it's such a weird memory mm. to have right? like that was okay and she's right. like now do something like that no I'm like <laughs> no mom I'm trying everything to like not do any of that you know like, why, like she's like why can't you be on Kapil Sharma I'm like yeah. because I'm not that comedian I'm right. trying to fight the entire system yeah. of like you know punching down on people right. and 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 that's why, like, it's such a so. Same for my parents. I'll never show them most of my, you know, like I'd probably share something like Cyrus and I do on podcasting. Maybe yeah. a little bit of that. And then recently, I wrote something for History Channel. Okay, my entire life long wish was to write something for History Channel. I don't know why, but I wrote something with it. And I told them like I wrote something for History Channel, and this song is going that's to play on. That's actually really beautiful. Congratulations! I know, yeah. thank Manifestation you. is real. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> like a, I wrote about the history of Zumba, like the dance song. <laughs> yeah, wow. Super duper. Yeah, huh? it's such a random thing. This, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I got this gig and I wrote for it. I told my mom and dad like this is this coming out, and you know, just watch it. It's gonna be like. 
like I wrote it entirely. I've written it. My mom and dad watch it and they're like, "Ki, but where were you in it?" And I'm like, <laughs> "You're missing the point." I'm, did you see the end set script yeah. by Naveen Narona? That matters, you know. Like I wrote a script and they're like, "Okay, we thought you were there in it. So maybe if you were there, in it, it would be." Much. Basically, they wanted to watch you doing Zumba. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but do you there. feel like, like with my parents, they both have exceptional taste in general in life? You know, like my dad, I've made him watch so many Indian comics, and he takes about four minutes before he just breaks them down to the stick hmm. and just goes, "Oh, this is what this one is doing. Oh, this one is just doing that." You know what I mean? And then it's like doubly this thing because I'm like, "Oh man, you have good taste in life. How are you still not into my stuff?" <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I also feel like our parents are in a contract with our childhood selves to continually never compliment us to our faces. <laughs> Like, they just made some primordial agreement with us when we were babies and we couldn't really communicate. They said, (laughs) hey, so I'm going to just be demeaning you for the rest of your life and then complimenting you behind your back. Because what I find out is my parents are bragging about me to everyone else but me. And I'm trying to be like, where's that energy for me? Okay? Like, at this point, I am pro-surveillance because I need to hear what my mom's saying about me to her friends. So (laughs) if anyone out there is listening... Now you know where I stand on the issue. And also this Indian cousin <laughs> network is pretty toxic. Where yes. They're like, Yo, did you hear what your child did? And and so my mom's learned to shut them down saying, Ki, are you taking care of him by any means? He's taking care of himself. Like she's found that, that yeah. system yeah. now. But when I go back home, as again, same thing. Like, like, but why are you not? I'm like, but <laughs> you're fighting the battle correctly, right? So just right. calm the fuck down yeah. for two minutes. It's yeah. crazy. That way I'm very lucky. Yeah. My cousins are the fucking best. Yeah. They're all like just the most. I don't know how I got this luck. And more than anything else, over the course of my life, I felt like the true safety net is knowing that I have this weirdly extended group of cousins that uh, and they've never even seen me sh- perform, but they're always like on top when it comes to anything to do with my stand up. You know mm. what I mean? Very lucky on that front. Mm. Nice. They're the ones in the comment section like, this is funny. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, I don't even think they watch my videos. <laughs> what I don't you even... do is you're confessing is just that you have like a Facebook group just composed of your cousins and you tag it anytime you get a mean comment and they come in. Yeah, they're yeah. the ones making troll farms right now being like, this guy is India best comment <laughs> yeah. now we know you just came out yeah. and Akash's cousins is like the 70% of Mumbai's Gujarati population <laughs> so he, he won in that regard awesome. I even have one called Rahul Gandhi so I think I'm pretty like set on that front okay, yeah, we're gonna take a quick break see you on the other side yay yes Welcome back, second half Vartha Lab. Uh, new new year and new guests and new fun times. Yeah. Today we have Alok Vedmanan. You you are a combination of two of the hairiest culture in in industry yes. actually. Yeah. Uh, Keralaite and mm-hmm. Punjabi. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so I think that's like a given. I recently like went for a Kerala massage. I should mention mm. and uh, and I love massages because like generally they're good for your body. But a Kerala massage <laughs> is like. It's very close to like a Turkish massage in that mm-hmm. regard, where it's like man on man action. Yep. And it was, it was, and the guy was burly also, so I was like really enjoying it. I, I had just, a very disturbing uh, massage related experience in Dubai. Wow. So, of all places. Okay, so here's, let me start off with this, okay? I don't know what full service means. <laughs> okay, I didn't, I didn't know. Now you, you know. didn't know. I didn't know what full service means. You mean to tell you hang out with gay people and you didn't know that? I mean, it's I, like, are you just Naveen ignoring and I have us? never discussed the... Uh, yeah. the well, you need nature. to reconsider yeah. and reevaluate your friendship yeah. because there are things that are not being shared. <laughs> like, he did not know what ghost bird system was until recently, I told him. Nobody in this room knew and yeah. you told all of us together. So, I, I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, you know, yeah. it's okay. All I'm saying, okay. So. I'm only the gay liaison for this entire comedy. Absolutely. <laughs> 
basically they just see a rainbow flag every time you speak. They're not yeah. listening. Like, like You've got a rainbow flag muzzle as a piece of tape over your mouth. Because I've seen your crass mouth. You were talking about full service on one of these podcast episodes. I'm sure For sure. Of it. For sure. Yeah. I've spoken about like hand jobs and fisting and stuff. But like never that. full service. <laughs> so I go to this place and it's the, whatever the hell, the spa. In the hotel that I'm in. So I have no reason to think that this is a prostitution thing. Okay. Or a adult entertainment scenario. I wanted shoulders and legs. Okay. That's feet. That's what I wanted. I wanted shoulders and feet. And when they said full service, I I thought they meant... Okay. So another queer cultural thing. Yeah. Feet is not outside of adult, adult entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Make, I can meet you at shoulder. Yeah. But I can't meet you at feet. I'm sorry. <laughs> So if you're walking in for a foot massage, <laughs> there's always going to be apostrophes around that. Yeah. yeah. I also didn't know there's a lot, body. Of, lot, of, lot of organs between the shoulder and the yeah. seat. To Dude, and then at one point, the lady said, body rub. And I said, obviously, you rub my body. It's a massage. Oh, Why would you not rub my body in a massage? Then I got very awkward and I tried to leave and I fell on my face because my legs were already oh, really? oiled up. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty sad. I had a really great massage story last week. I was at my friend's place at this retreat center in Sri Lanka, and they were doing the Ayurvedic massage. But here's the thing. I thought I should hydrate before the massage because it's two and a half hours. So I drank a lot of water and immediately needed to pee so bad. And the issue is that the river should have come with a trigger warning because the flow of water just made me yeah. need to pee yeah. so bad yeah. the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I kept on thinking about the jokes that I could write about needing to pee during this massage that yeah. I didn't interrupt to go and pee. Yeah. And depress every part of you. This is yeah. like this, like this year and year. Yes, and then it's yeah. like literally, am I about to piss myself? You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And then they wouldn't even notice because the oil is the same. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it just imbibes in and then you're in and you're in it together. I mean, yeah, yeah, apparently some guy just pissed on someone on a plane here. So I'm. (laughs) That happened twice. That happened twice, no? Yeah. 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 Somebody from Delhi, both times, of course. (laughs) Both times. Smash! Damn it! The lack of urinals in Delhi is. (laughs) Go talk to your people. Yeah, what's happening in Delhi, man? Like, just like, this whole Apparently not been, good enough massages. Yeah, it's been six days. Today's the 6th of Jan, by the way. Huh? Within the six days from Delhi, there's been three major crime news that happened. Oh, yeah? Two, two pissing and one of the, those, uh, the car driving thing, right? Where they just drove for 13 kilometers with a girl attached to the hood of the car. Oh, God. You don't know about this? It's what? been playing on all the news channels. This girl was run over by on a school tee and was pissed drunk on New Year's night. They just drove with a body dangling behind the car for 13 kilometers and they got on CCTV and everything. They arrested him. And she dead? She she bro, what happens after 10 kilometers know, of being dragged around for the on the road of Delhi? Oh my god. It's fucked up, dude. It's That's fucked so up. So fucked up. Yeah. But you know, I feel like there's also like a lot of manipulation in this. I mean, not to say that the crime is being fabricated, but I feel like there's equally horrible crimes happening everywhere. And then the news sort of picks like, okay, this is what we're gonna go with this. But week. This, no, this is two states. He drove from Delhi to UP, so it makes sense. Like, it's just, <laughs> the crime happened across two states, <laughs> and it's uh, pretty scintillating. Two states. Where do you where do you hear more crime like this happening? Like, I know, of course, this news. Like, if you scan the entire paper, you'll find pockets of India that are pretty fucked up. Yeah. But this is very concentrated. There's problem. a there's a thing there's about this, the cow belt. Yeah. That's, that goes yeah. without saying. Yeah. The average crime that's happening there is probably a lot worse than the average crime that's happening here. And there's a very matter of fact thing also. Like, you know, like if you. Say 
ऑर्गेनाइजिंग ऑफ लाइक people into a fucking <laughs> to murder some fuck dude that noida case i will never forget dude i am i'm talking to the organizer i'm like man i don't know if i want to perform at this venue again and like it's okay it doesn't there anymore like it's gone <laughs> the staff murdered a guy yeah <laughs> the guy's gone staff's gone <laughs> the guy's gone yeah. building is gone the sign has been changed it's crazy <laughs> But you're no, from, no. from Texas. You're pretty much the Bible Belt of, yeah. of America. Yeah, you're well. in the cow yeah. belt of uh, America. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's just like every day there's a new disaster there. It's wild. And I made the unwise decision to move back to Texas for 10 months at the beginning of the quarantina. <laughs> I call it quarantina. It was so traumatic that I need I need camp to survive. Yeah. And I was back there during the 2020 election. So it was really... pretty intense. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a lockdown because people just took their guns to their tattoo parlors <laughs> and refused any shutting down. So it's like yeah. nothing actually yeah. changed whatsoever. Yeah. But it was an experience of little homo on the range. That's the only way to describe it. Anytime I would see any queer adjacent person, I would start crying just publicly on the street. I'd be like, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I it was it was humbling. I think it was very strange at this point in my career and my life where I'm so visibly queer to have to kind of not be able to be myself for a sustained amount of time. In the beginning I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm punk. I can do this." Like, mm. gender's not what we look like, it's who we are. And then I was wearing cargo shorts for months in and I was like, "Get me the fuck out of here." <laughs> But so so uh, tell me one of your favorite celebrity interviews that you've done. Like I've seen you like you know like jamming with like all the big people. Yeah. So who who stood out for you? Who was the most as you would say like not not abrasive because like sometimes that happens where like they 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 fish for queer people just for the fact that okay this gives us you know brown brownie points the pink money comes in but there are some people who are genuinely nice so how how has that been in the american you know counterculture i mean first you were trying to not punch up punch down so these celebrities must be so grateful to be interviewed by me i mean <laughs> yeah. i'm i'm the og coming in yeah you know what i really find is that most interviews are fluff they're so boring people are not actually yeah. asking the things that actually happen and i think especially when you're speaking to a celebrity they get asked the most basic things like what's your skincare regimen <laughs> yeah. not and so i always come in with the penetrating questions like how do you survive the international crisis of loneliness mm-hmm. i'm i'm so interested in yeah. actually seeing people who are in the public eye having to speak about mental health because on the one hand everyone thinks that your life is amazing and so if you at all everyone says i don't want to be seen as complaining i don't want to be seen as complaining but that's not how mental health works you can have everything in the world and still hate yourself and hate your life yeah so i think one of the most humbling experience that i've had is just meeting to some of the most famous people in the world and being like wow i'm so glad that i don't have your life <laughs> I, i know everyone's <laughs> trying to aspire towards this yeah, but this yeah, is yeah. awful yeah. you can't leave your car without people like literally 
taking photos of you. I I would like to think I want to keep the slow simmer of fame where I choose when people are taking photos of me so I can maintain that I look good. Because looking good 24-7 is a difficult enterprise, you know? So I will just really be in an ugly outfit and I know that would be in the paparazzi. (laughs) They're like, this is why trans people suck because the loke looks nasty in this outfit. They would come after me soon. (laughs) It's a lot of obligation to represent an entire community and have to be fierce all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's right. Sure. And yeah. I, I think especially if you're somebody who practices comedy, there's a certain level of celebrity you can achieve and after that it's detrimental. Right. You know what I mean? How are you, like, because being a comic is being the person in the corner of a room watching everyone else play exactly. out their own shit. And now suddenly, if I'm the center of that shit, then what the fuck, what are the jokes I'm going to write? And it shows. It shows that a lot yeah. of our greats have lost their touch. Yeah. And you, it shows that they have a lot of writers writing for them and it doesn't land in the same way that it used to early on in their career. And and so much of my art practice has always been about the sort of metaphor of sitting on a park bench and looking at the world and being like, I love humanity and I hate people at the same time. Yeah. And so now it's getting harder because someone comes and interrupts you at the park bench. You're not afforded the same sense of distance as you were before. Yeah. But I think that what I've really had to get better about is naming real boundaries to be like, I have to carve out space to create. Because now I can sort of populate my schedule with touring as much as possible. Mm. But then that part of your brain, that's the like live part, isn't the writing part, the broody part, the kind of introverted part. So I've had to really precise the art form of saying no and being like, hey, I actually need to structure time to write and to reflect. And that becomes losing money in the eyes of your agents and your managers who want to push you in certain directions. But I think that what I've really learned is that you have to create space for yourself. Otherwise, you lose touch. Yeah. I think that's the first thing that's really hard to get used to also. This is the, the commoditization of yourself. Yeah. You know, and, and and the fact that everyone around you in the industry thinks that you're just going to, you're hot for now. Right. And then, you know, everybody sort of just assumes you're going to have a five-year long career and that's it. Okay, not just in the industry, but in your own family. My mom is literally like, so how are you enjoying your 15 minutes? I'm like, mom, (laughs) I need you in my court, okay? Like, the the worst Twitter trolls have nothing on our own Indian mothers. She says, okay, but what about healthcare? You know, like, I'm asking myself those questions too. (laughs) But what I also really find really fun about being a comic, though, is that failure is the funniest thing in the world. So actually, even through failing, you have new material, you know? So I was just recently at Paris Fashion Week. I was really excited. I got, like, flown by a brand. I was dressed. I was like, ooh, look at me. Hmm. And so there are thousands of people waiting to see Zendaya enter the same show that I was at. And so when I walked by, not a single person went like, woo! It was just everyone looking like, looking at their phone like, who is that? Like Googling, <laughs> taking a photo, yeah. nudging people like, what is that person? And then the minute that some like Hollywood starlets next to me, I was like, ah! Oh my God. (laughs) And I thought it was the funniest experience ever. So that also is really great because it gives you once again, a kind of armor where no matter what's thrown your way, you're like, wow, thank you for this material. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But like, we can't jinx someone on a podcast, Naveen. (laughs) Shit. But you spoke immediately. So you just broke the jinx. You can pinch me. For seven years. Uh, (laughs) But but, uh, we can't uh, end this podcast without discussing the recent slate of uh, transphobic jokes that most of our growing up comic idols only have now uh, turned against us in a, in a way, right? Like, this feels like... And a lot of people will, of course, come up to me in the scene and be like, what do you feel of Dave Chappelle? Or what do you feel of Ricky Gervais? Or what do you feel of, like, all these guys defending by releasing more material to defend their friends? Like, you know, Seinfeld also, for that matter. So, so 
like I always say that listen it's it's up to them to like figure out how they pursue the comedy because if this is the thing that makes them want to lash out at people more so then there's a problem there's a problem that we have somehow as as queer people not been able to explain to them up light so much that they hate us to the point where they'll make jokes about us right so so where do you stand on that entire thing yeah my show is a direct response to that and i'm i'm talking about how we need to protect jokes from men in pants <laughs> because uh, i'm so disappointed in so many straight cis dude comedians who have completely lost touch with what comedy should be about the history and tradition of comedy was always people who were disenfranchised from mainstream media to actually be able to speak truth to power yeah and then what happens is that people get power in their comedic art forms and they just become ambassadors to the status quo yeah they're not actually committed to transformation and what they think is a hot take is not a hot take whatsoever yeah. especially in the US where we have 332 pieces of anti-trans legislation relying on the same premises as their humor does Correct. the idea that trans people are inherently dangerous or that we're funny looking mm. so there's nothing avant-garde or interesting about saying that yeah. when in the state of Texas where I'm from they're trying to pass laws that will essentially criminalize us for existing in public space so for me it's not that their their humor is politically incorrect i think that's a derailing it's that it's just bad i really i really yeah. think that jokes that are funny are actually jokes that are rooted in love and transformation I make fun of myself. I make fun of trans people. I don't believe any community is beyond reproach. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's done out of love. But when you see these shows, it's not done out of love. Yeah, it's, it's done out of resentment. Yeah, yeah. And I also feel like it's sad because so many members of the trans community have, have reached out all of branches over and over and over again, being like, hey, do you want to come and learn why this is harmful? Do you want to? And then there's been no attempt for address. And yeah. I'm the biggest champion for redemption. I believe that we all change. And yeah, I think that's yeah. the best part about being trans is that I know that change is possible in myself. So I see it in other people. But when people willfully refuse to change, we're left actually as consumers of art to actually have a sense of responsibility. This is not the kind of stand-up I believe in. Yeah. And so the way that I'm curating this tour and all of my tours is uplifting voices in comedy and poetry that have been disenfranchised, that I think are just as talented, that are offering material that's actually funny, not misogyny. That's mm. for sure. And I've been uh, noticing like the, the two thus far has had like Priyanka Paul, Daniela, all of our friends. Though your friend Elsa is her name, mm -hmm. they're the harpist. They're harpists too. That's so amazing. Kaling. I'm going to see them tomorrow as well because I love how harpists part yeah. of your act. Yeah, opening act. <sighs> it's so cool. I hate you. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking compete with my words. Yeah. It's I not just, a competition. We're all collaboration. We're supporting yeah. each other. I hate you more now. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Like, we run a little queer mic also in, in the city and mm -hmm. across the country now called Queerated Comedy. And initially it was just like, whatever, you know, maybe two or three people will come and see and do a whatever thing. But like, every month we do now like a, a, a show and people turn up every month to see uh, the lineup yeah. and more and more queer voices are coming and performing with us. And, and that's the power of it all. Like, I think... My dream, like I remember watching this uh, documentary on Barry Crimmins, who was a comic from the 80s, who created a safe space where people who were either abused as children, or maybe they were queer, or maybe they were trans, or maybe they were misunderstood in society, and they all got to have the little bit of, you know, five seconds of fame, so to say, according to our moms, but they all had that little... little commune aspect mm. to it right and that's mm -hmm. what my dream was from very beginning in comedy was to create a space even when I can afford to I'll run a room where I actually want everybody who's from the alt space in, in comedy to come and do their thing I thought you were saying to come and do Zumba and I was really with you and now I'm I'm not no no okay so so <laughs> we'll do Zumba first and then we Thank do comedy yes. cool down work up a sweat yeah. work up a sweat yeah, yeah. And my mom will finally be happy with my yes. career. Then, then we'll, yeah, we'll put that on History Channel <laughs> that's, that's channel. the documentary History Channel wants yeah is Naveen 
doing zumba was he an alien we'll never know <laughs> <laughs> did yeah. aliens invent zumba yeah the aliens amazing <laughs> i love those shows uh so yeah alok what's the plan after this uh, do you all uh, i mean you have a show yeah, now but yeah. like yeah. in general for the next 6 months <laughs> yeah yeah it's i think i was so bored during quarantine that i took on the most ambitious tour of my entire life so i've literally done over 150 shows yeah. in oh, yeah. almost 30 countries in the past 8 months i was in namibia I was in Romania. I was in so many places where I don't think people understood what I was actually saying on stage. <laughs> yeah. And it was one of those moments are you laughing at me or with me? But whatever, the crowd loves me, you yeah, know. Yeah. And now I'm on the precipice of the end of it. And so existential crisis is entering the chat and I'm like should I book more tour dates and then I'm like no. No, yeah, no, no, I, no. Yeah. I think <laughs> that's that's something that I It's really think a lot about is mental health and being a performer. Mm. When you get so much validation when you're on a tour and you're like people love me and then you have to be back by yourself and that discrepancy is so stark it and is. then you're like no one no one likes me you need that instant validation and i'm trying to really learn how to be more gentle in that transition with myself so my plan is every time anyone asks me what's next i'm publicly holding myself accountable to saying i'm taking a break i'm <laughs> yes. resting yeah. and i'm going to like create new things out of a place that's not reactionary and that's actually well slept yeah yeah and oh. in, in, in a very long time i took this vacation after after like yeah. working for a year relentlessly and very consciously i had to be like okay no phones none of this none of this you know and a partner was with me and just like watching me like a hawk is like no matter what you do this is something that you won't be allowing yourself to do yeah. just like fall back into the trap because i'm a i'm a workaholic in my own sense right i'm like okay now to plan the tour again i have to go yeah. back on the road again yeah. and and that's what the thing like you know as you said like coming back to the resting aspect of it or like after i've done a bit of traveling and come back to my family which is my cats and my partner it's such a weird situation because i want to be with them but at the same time when i'm eating my food i'm going to wear my headphone i'm going to wear my this thing and i'm going to isolate myself from everybody watching yeah. something and he's like you you realize what you're doing right now you're still cutting away everything because imagine dating us like, yeah. it must be horrible yeah we are horrible eh, yeah i keep warning everybody if they continue to do it it's them on them it's on them yeah. fuck yeah but like it's for me it's computer games right like i go on tour for 6 months and i it's fucking it's ridiculous and i'm dead and then i come home for one month i i just like from literally i wake up i have breakfast i sit in front of the computer and i play these mindless games which involve no you know real yeah. like contemplation on my part and that's when i'm actually just sitting and sort of like reflecting on the last few months yeah yeah i feel like what my comedy writing practice is, is i see funny things i write them on my notes app and then when i'm finally able to look at the notes app months later i don't remember what that thing yeah. was yeah. and then the joke comes from <laughs> yeah. like what was that and then i imagine what it could have been yeah. and so i've been meaning to do that i have like 400 notepads on my phone that are yeah. like screaming at me being like you're going to lose your best jokes yeah. shut up and listen to me i lost yeah. an entire book like that I told you about the rickshaw story, right? Like where I just got up to buy smokes, and my rickshaw guy just drove away with my bag and my entire book of jokes and cash and cash and some pot. Fuck yeah! Uh, but the was, jokes were more valuable. Absolutely, and then it's all gone now. Yeah, you'll get it back. You know, I feel this is a insecurity we all have as people who are creative because of the fucking apps, dude. Yeah. The apps want you to put something out thrice a week, so you keep putting yourself on this fucking pressure ride of, oh my god, am I creating enough? Am I creating often enough? That's a, that's a, defeats the fucking purpose of what we do. Okay, but also the apps have helped us out because now they've made people's attention span and memory so short that you can reshare the same content a month later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And people are like, "Whoa, you're really prolific." <laughs> yeah, yeah. They don't even notice. Yeah. 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 
That's Do you good. feel like the apps are contribute more to love or they contribute more to just sort of this increasing sense of isolation? Mm, I feel like it's always both and whenever people ask me either or questions. I think it's how we use it, right? I think for me, there's no way in hell someone like me could have had access to the audience that I do unless I was able to circumvent gatekeepers. Mm. And so it's allowed me to populate an audience across the world that will come to my shows and understand me and care for me and protect me, which I think is really precious. But it also compels hundreds of thousands of people to send me death threats and people to insult my appearance. And so I don't want to romanticize or glorify it because it also really sucks. And I think that this is the situation a lot of us who are LGBTQ in the industry have to face is that we have to hustle harder and we get abused while we're hustling to get. Mm. So we're advocating for ourselves, but we're getting abused while we're advocating for ourselves. Yeah. And I always wonder, like, what would it look like if we could just, like, hey, everyone, I'm taking a moratorium from homophobia and transphobia. I've got some really great art to make. So if you could just leave me alone for, <laughs> yeah. like, one week, and then you can come back at it. Yeah, You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> one week, please fuck off. Yes. <laughs> The reason I looked at Spurs is because this also happened on Cyrus recently. Yeah. Where, but they just think I had a feeling when I spoke that, like, you know, like I was not being heard on the podcast. And people have taken that and made it all about me trying to be woke. And then the worst part was them thinking, oh, male PMS is true. We've seen him today. Okay. So it's just that like you insulting my my people and the women, the women at the same yeah. time. Like just like understand where people are coming from. Like if it takes harder. Like we, we try our best to represent an entire group of people. And we don't say, I never said that I'm speaking for the entire LGBT. Yeah. population ever I'm like this is my and that's also undue pressure yeah you know it's undue I mean? pressure and I'm just telling my little pocket of my story and every time I'm trying to defend something that is very horribly transphobic on the show they're immediately like but you are like you know you're too woke for this show and yeah. you don't understand the chaos and everything I'm like I understand everything but just understand my side of the story yeah. if, you, if you never give us the chance to tell our side of the story without being Constantly, you know, I mean, I, th- I feel like, like it's actually a rule at this point. If someone just uses the word woke without actually speaking about a specific context, then they're yeah. not actually committed to the context. Yeah. It's just become a catch all. Yeah, that yeah people it's an use. insulting term. Yeah. yeah. It's just so bereft of anything, yeah. so to say. I, I think it's like, I feel it's always unfair. Mm. You know what I mean? And I feel that on some level, but I feel like for you, it's like on a whole fucking different level. It's like me getting caught smoking pot. If I get caught smoking pot, it's not like random dude gets caught smoking pot. It's Khuni Darindak stand-up comedian caught smoking pot. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if it's anything else, it's just, yeah, dude does something. But for you, it's like constantly this added fucking gay man caught with whatever. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? So yeah. th- th- it's just all of a sudden you are forced to be the representative. In my case, it's gay man caught with political dick in his mouth. <laughs> just to fill in the blanks in case you're... All dick that. is political. Yeah. In my mouth for sure. <laughs> It tickles my politics. <laughs> but yeah. Political. <laughs> yeah. I but love yeah, RIP okay. to all the people who lost their lives uh, since the last New Year's. Uh, <laughs> my mom has just been telling me all these, like, you know, she came back from a funeral today. And I'm like, who died? A lot of deaths, man. A lot of deaths. deaths. Like, last two weeks, a yeah. lot of deaths. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so hold on to your loved ones and hold on. while, while you can. Love more yeah. and love often. Yeah. And hold on to your best jokes. Hold on to your best jokes. Uh, yeah. Don't lose your jokes in the rickshaw like me. <laughs> and uh, go watch an Alok Wedman and show when, when they're touring in your city. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they've been to Romania, so they'll definitely be to your city. Wherever so, you are. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Our audience is a subset of yours. Yeah. At best. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for coming on the show and giving Thank us you. your time. I Thank mean, you. Clearly, you're on a very busy schedule. Yeah. But you took out uh, you took out some of that time. Thank you so yeah. much. Of course. Thanks for Enjoy Soho House. Thank you. Yeah. We'll be back next week. Please, please. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> please follow us. Ah!